This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, John Grant Jr. finally announces his retirement from the NLF. Dana Doby of the Canadian Women's Lacrosse team will stop by after the women have advanced the quarterfinals. Canadian Summer Leagues are heating up as we get closer and closer to the playoffs in the senior loop, while the junior road to the Minto is almost upon us, plus more international lacrosse. All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to the show. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. As mentioned off the top, John Grant Jr. announced his retirement from the National Lacrosse League. Number 24 will join us here on the show as well, number 27. Dana Doby of the Canadian Women's Field Lacrosse Team as Captain Canada and the women have advanced to the quarterfinals. They will play New Zealand on Wednesday. She checks in with us. I was able to catch up with her uh, in their dorm over in Manchester right after their game against England, which was a very close one. And we'll talk to her about, you know, the women's game and uh, bridging the gap between the Americans the second group of teams, Canada, Australia, England, Wales, and then everybody else. Which gap is closing quicker? It's a debate that we've talked about in the men's game, and it's also a debate that is happening in the women's game as well. Uh, we'll get you up to date on everything MSL and WLA. We'll update you on the Junior A playoffs. And the North American Indigenous Games are going on cur- currently. And a great article was written about the impact of Indigenous women playing lacrosse. And for the first time in these games, they are taking part in their spiritual creator's game. And it is a great thing. They are getting tons of publicity from major news outlets and lacrosse players around the world just saying how great it is that these girls are getting a chance to showcase their skills and their talents, and their love for the game. But before we get into all of that, the National Lacrosse League came out with a bit of a teaser tweet on Sunday saying, stay tuned, we have two major announcements. Actually, I don't think they said major. Two announcements on Monday. And it got everybody up in angst. And everybody was like, oh boy, are they finally going to announce some expansion team? Are we going to find out where Steve Govett is actually going? What's going to be the first team? We had all these questions. And then people realized that the announcements weren't actually that major. And they had actually ruined the surprise with the email that they had sent out on Friday saying, check back in with the NLL.com on Monday as we announced the All-Pro and All-Rookie teams. So... It got people's hopes up, and then they kind of got crushed. And there was a lot of feedback and a lot of angst from a lot of fans on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, wherever you happen to look and get your NLL information, that people were kind of let down. And when I posed that question to the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, I said, you know, I I asked him what the announcement was going to be. He said it's going to be the all-pro teams. And I said, you do realize that 
the way you guys sort of unveiled this announcement on Twitter, that it's gotten people's hopes up that it's going to be expansion and you're going to really break their hearts when it's not. And he said, we're announcing all pro and all rookies. We're acknowledging the best players in the world. And I get that. It is a great accomplishment to be an all pro or all rookie. I'm not going to take anything away from the 18 guys that were named to those three teams, and we'll get to them in a minute. But it's something that happens every year. Announcing the MVP isn't a major announcement. Announcing Rookie of the Year isn't a major announcement. Announcing All Pros isn't a major announcement. It's just something that happens all of the time. Every year, these things happen. So to make it a big deal and to pump its tires and get everybody's hopes up and then to have it be, again, while it is a great accomplishment to be on these teams, it didn't really need the hype that it got because the all-pro teams are usually announced when they do the awards, and it's now been an extra, what, almost two weeks since the awards were done? So, it, again, it was just an interesting way of doing it. It got people's hopes up that didn't really need to be jacked up that high. And there was a bit of a letdown when it was an expansion. And it was just the announcements of the All-Pro teams. So, without further ado, here are your All-Pro and All-Rookie teams. The first team, Lyle Thompson, Mark Matthews, Corey Small, Jason Noble, Brody Merrill, Dylan Ward. No real surprise there. Um, your MVP, your other top two-point getters, uh, your number one defender, your transition player of the year, your goaltender of the year, pretty standard. Second pro all-team, Dixon, Crowley, Jackson, Hossick, Thornber, Poulin. I'm okay with that too. Jay Thornber, I probably could have put another D guy in, <coughs> Matt Beers. Dan Coates, <coughs> Carnegie, anybody. I don't think you needed to have a transition guy in there to make an all-pro team. You probably could have acknowledged one of the great defenders that's out there, but it's just the way it is. And finally, the all-rookie team, and this is a great all-rookie class. No goaltender, though. Uh, Tom Schreiber, Kyle Jackson, Josh Courier, Latrell Harris, Mike Messenger, Joel Coyle. Six players, no goaltender, three forwards, three defensemen. So those are your all-pro all and all-rookie teams. So that was the first bit of news, and they said there was going to be two announcements, and they came at separate times. So those may have been the two announcements they were going to make. But then later in the day, we got probably, I don't want to say the biggest news of the summer so far because – it was something that we all knew was coming. And we pretty much all knew that it had already happened. They had just hadn't made the official announcement yet. But finally, the Colorado Mammoth made it official. And John Grant Jr. is officially retired from all lacrosse. Major series, MLL, and now finally the NLL. Now, some people may wonder why did it take this long? Well... They didn't want to do this announcement during the regular season because they didn't want to take away 
from the regular season. And there was always maybe a glimmer and a sliver of hope that Junes would be able to come back. But due to health reasons and concussions, it just wasn't possible. And while he had retired from the MLL and MSL and they had had big to-dos for him, um, everybody kind of knew that he was going to be retiring from the NLL. They just didn't know when the announcement was going to come. And it finally comes yesterday, July 17th. And immediately, everyone started to show their love and thanks and support of Junior and the Twitter threads that were going around of people talking about their favorite Junior moments, the first time they met him, the first time they saw him score a ridiculous goal, posting old-school pictures of him with frosted tips and bad field helmets and super short shorts, puka shell necklaces. Like, they're great. Some really great images are out there. But it is a sad time for the world of lacrosse as another one of the golden generation of lacrosse players has called it a career. And in the past few years, we've lost Tavares, Sanderson, Doyle, and now Junior. You can throw in Sean Williams. You can throw in Casey Powell. Like We've lost some of the greatest players to ever play in our sport. And as Mike Poulin said, in a tweet that he put out, he said, I'll make the Hall of Fame committee's job real easy. The 2017 class should be Doyle and Grant, period. That's it. And while I completely agree that both those guys will be first ballot Hall of Famers, and there's no doubt about it that they are going to be in the Hall of Fame class this year. And I've had this conversation before on this podcast. I truly believe that there should be more guys going into the Hall of Fame. Like we said, Williams, Powell, Reggie Thorpe. Um, the list goes on of great lacrosse players that have yet to get their recognition. When will they get that recognition? I don't know. Maybe it's next year. Um, there's not really, you know, maybe if a guy like Dan Dawson or Brody Merrill hangs them up next year, those would be the guys, or maybe even Anthony Cosmo. But there are guys who have finished their careers that were pioneers, that were greats, that were legends in their own right, that need to be recognized. And Junior and Doyle, no doubt about it, class of 17, but I wouldn't mind seeing one or two other guys go in with them. I don't think it'll happen just due to the way the voting system works. I think it's only going to be a two-man race. And they will both get... If Remember last year when I had this big kerfuffle about Josh Sanderson not getting 100% of the vote on the ballot? If either Junior or Doyle don't get 100%, I may go postal. Truly. I may go postal. If not, a 100% of the voting population of people who get to vote, if they don't put those two guys as the one and two names on their ballot, I'm going to lose it. However, the moment is about John Grant Jr. And 
for those that saw him in his early days, got a glimpse of a very young man who, in his own right, was still pretty immature and was just living the life. He was a naturally gifted, unbelievably talented lacrosse player. And he was able to do things that people never even thought of, people never even saw before, and things we may never see before. But he also took a lot of flack. And I was uh, a teammate of juniors when I was in Rochester my first two years in in early 2000s. And he was public enemy number one in every other rink. Fans hated him. They loved to see him fail, whether it was miss a shot, lose a game, lose a championship. They relished in his failures. When all the guy wanted to do was just play the game he loved and just do it on his own terms. You'll hear it in our interview. He was He's a bit of a social outcast. He's not big on big group settings. He's not the biggest media guy. Uh, he's getting better, but he was really shy around the media. He was really closed off, kept his friends close, and, and didn't really divulge too much out of his inner circle. And it got him in some trouble and some hot water at times. You know, he was a bad apple sometimes. And when we talk to him, you'll hear it. He'll say, you know, I was living one game to the next. I was looking six days in advance, he says. Just because all he wanted to do was play lacrosse. He didn't realize what it took to actually be a professional athlete until he almost lost his life and the ability to play lacrosse ever again. And that near-death experience truly changed everything he thought about the game of lacrosse, how he went about being a professional, how he went about being a teammate, a role model. And in the end, John Grant Jr. has become a great ambassador for the game of lacrosse. Sure, he's not on you know a platform like Rabel or the Thompson Brothers or even the Gates for that matter. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that John was a very quietly humble guy. Yeah, he liked to be arrogant and flashy and show off, but, you know, reserved and humble when you actually would speak with him. He didn't often look cameras in the eye. He would kind of look down on the floor. He was shy. He was humble. And over the past few years, you've really started to see him come out of that shell. Uh, a lot of that has to do with his wife, Reagan, um, and his daughter, who have just been incredible influences on his life. Uh, his new job at Valor Christian High School has been a major turnaround for him spiritually and mentally. Um, his mentorship underneath Steve Govett has been incredibly huge, uh, a father figure to him um, at times. But still, all he wanted to do was play lacrosse. And it was tough to see him at games, at practices, at shoot-arounds, not even being allowed to step on the floor. Like, doctor said, don't pick up a stick, don't throw the ball, don't step on the floor, don't be doing this, don't be, like, just, if you're going to go, just go and sit down. Because 
we can't have you doing the things that you normally want to do because of the situation you're in. And when it came time and the doctors finally said, you know what, John? You're just not able to play anymore. And not because he couldn't keep up skill-wise. Physically, he just, his body couldn't take it anymore. And with the latest concussion that he had, it was to the point where they said, that's it, you're done. And as you'll hear him say in the upcoming interview, it's made this whole process a whole lot easier to swallow. So without further ado, here is a pre-recorded interview that I caught, uh, that I have with John Grant Jr. Uh, we did it earlier today. He's on vacation in Niagara Falls. And I do apologize um, for his phone cutting in and out anybody who's talked to anybody in Niagara Falls, know the cell service isn't the greatest there, so um, bear with us. Um, But when we spoke and we first started talking, I just asked him where he was, how the family was doing, and what they were up to. Sightseeing in Niagara Falls, I've actually been here a bunch. Never actually looked over the railing and saw its awesomeness. So uh, got the family here. It was, uh, you know, quite quite the nice little day, other than all the hill walking. Yeah, did you uh, ride the Maid of the Mist? Did you put the poncho on? I did not. I did not. I wasn't. I mean, I think it would be cool, but the 45 minutes on that boat, basically standing like sardines on that thing would be <laughs> a little too much for my anti-social be- yeah. uh, personality. So I just watched them get wet from up top. There's enough <laughs> mist up there for us all. Um, was there any mist in the eyes when uh, the announcement of retirement actually came up. Were there any tears shed when you realized that uh, you'd finally called it a career in, in, in all forms of lacrosse? Well, yeah, as, as my uh, good friend Chase Koleski said, he goes, so is there anything else you need to retire from? Because every time I turn around, you're retiring from something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I literally, I've kind of forgotten that, you know, the Mammoth and I did our little thing and I went off on our little trip. I was in Baltimore all week coaching mm-hmm. and was in Columbus, and then so I've been basically embroiled in our family kind of work workcation, and we were getting zero service at this water park on Lake Erie, and all of a sudden it kind of we found a pocket, and my Twitter had blown up, and my wife's Instagram and, and Facebook, and yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it was a uh, it was bittersweet. I mean, I yeah. know I've been preparing for it. I mean, I've been told I can't play, so it's not like even if I had a choice, I had one to make. But you know, when you actually see it and um, you know, why I won't be able to do some of the things that I was able to do. It, it, it was tough, but I mean, I retired for the right reasons and, you know, yeah. my family and my health finally came first and, um, you know, we're in a really good place and I'm very, very fortunate that I have an amazing job at Valor where I can coach high school full time and, and still coach with the outlaws on the weekend. And, and who knows if there's anything down the pipeline um, with an indoor team as far as coaching. So who knows? We'll get to that in a minute. You said that, you know, you were told you couldn't play. Is it, uh, was it head related? Was it knee related? Was it just 40 odd years of playing lacrosse and they said enough is enough? Well, my, uh, my knees were telling me to stop in 2009. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, was able to, I was really able to tell that thing just, hey. um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. if anyone's watched me play, I, I mean, I limp when I walk, I limp when I jog, I limp, limp when I run and, um, it was getting really, really tough to still do that, but ultimately, you know, that, you know, the concussion, 
but not committed to MLL season, um, you know, I wasn't going to be cleared to play anyway. So yeah. it was whether it was all of the above, but you know, when a doctor tells you it's you know it's time and not to risk anything more damaging, you know, it was uh, sat down and we decided, you know, it, I don't think this is going to happen anymore, and we just mm-hmm. started to kind of wrap our heads around what that would be like. So, um, you know, there's been some tough times with it. I think my seven-year-old, she's she's taking it the roughest right now. Yeah, I mean she's at the age where she's starting to grasp what it was and and really enjoy going to the rink and cheering for daddy and all the rest. And, and of course, Megan, she's been having a tough time too because mm-hmm. it's been her life with me for 21, 22. So um, you know it's tough for us, but you know just trying to stay busy and look at the bright side and all the good stuff that we've got because of the cross. So. It's pretty amazing to think that you probably never should have been playing this long with everything that happened with your knee and your health uh, back in the mid-2000s, and you played all the way through 2017. It's a remarkable career. When you look back um, on your pro career, your senior, your junior, your international career, um, what's the one thing that you'll just always look back on and remember? I'm actually having a hard time dealing with the fact that I haven't won a playoff game since my championship in 07. Like, really, oh, yeah. I think that's what was making it so difficult for me to walk away, especially from the mammoth team that, you know, Govett and Dan Gary assembled. Like, the couple mm-hmm. of pieces they added were, were, I feel like, finally what we needed to get over the hump. Um, you know, Keo and Greer. And, um, you know, it was tough watching this year because I, I yeah. just like the pieces are there. If I was healthy, I could have definitely helped these guys. And I mean, Saskatchewan's phenomenal team, but um, yeah, I literally I never got a chance to win a playoff game for the Mammoth. And you know, I know I've, I've done a lot of things, but for anyone that knows me, I'm usually haunted more by the things I didn't do and yeah, and some of the regrets. And that one's gonna sting. Um, you know, I it was kind of funny not comparing myself to Peyton by any means, but kind of what he was able to do his last year and finally get that second title and battle through all the adversity I was kind of mm-hmm. using that as my driving force to get back this season but obviously you know they they said that wasn't to be and you know I just I, I wanted to win I mean that's why yeah. I play um and it took me so long to start winning and once I started I couldn't really stop but it seemed like I just couldn't so literally I lost the last in each of the three leagues I played and I lost my last game and that yeah, yeah that's gonna bother me but I mean I've got really good people that keep saying you know you've done so much good don't dwell on on three games that you didn't win but I mean I think that's what's driven me and I think you know for now I just I'm using that as a you know as a fuel to to keep building and coaching and and to use that as a learning experience for the people that I coach and mentor. You talk about the winning aspect of your career was there any greater year than 2007 for you? Uh, I would have to say probably not. But there again, <laughs> we, I played pretty average in our semifinal game against the Riptide in 07 at home in Roch, which is again, all four times that year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it hasn't been done. Um, and we were, that team was beyond special. I still put it up with one of the best teams that I played in MLL. You know, we did get it the next two years. Um, to have it at home, um, with everything else I did that summer, that would have been pretty amazing. But like I said, I, you know, I won my first man cop after a blown knee in 04. And, you know, it really showed me that I needed to prepare and work and train 
and all the little things do matter and you know talent just doesn't do it like you mm-hmm. need to put the work in i was right at the time i know you played with me and cross james like it wasn't just yeah. a club play it was a it was a full-time dedication to fitness and nutrition and what you put in your body matters and the sleep you get and and you know it wasn't until i blew my knee out and really had to battle through that rehab that I'm like, wow, like this, this really does take a lot of work. And yeah, it kind of changed things for me. And, and obviously I think it helped because I started being able, and I was on great teams. I mean, that's what everyone always says is like, Oh, you can't win. Or this guy wins a lot. But the fact of the matter is they're team sports. You can be the mm-hmm. best player in the world. And you don't win if you don't have a good team. Yeah. And you can be, <laughs> you know, terrible, terrible. Like you win a lot of championships just, right place at the right time and it's truly what makes it amazing about team sports and lacrosse I mean it's very very difficult to win and you know you got to appreciate everyone that you do get but what I've learned over the years is just what I'm trying to grasp is just to enjoy the process and really yeah. focus on the amount of work it takes you to get to any given end of a season whether it's a win or a loss and I, I think that's more what I'm trying to like I said teach as I'm going through this, even teach the outlaws. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, some of those guys won last year, but I mean, you got to enjoy the journey. I mean, Absolutely. it's challenging, but that's what makes it so worthwhile. And, um, you know, that's what it's taken me a long time to learn. And I, you know, like I said, a part of the reason I held on for so long is I was still learning and maybe not learning the game, but I think if you're not, I always joke with my kids, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Or, but it's true. I mean, there's always ways to get better in anything. And that's what I kept searching for. Um, you know, I always said I always wanted to play a perfect game, um, which I don't know has ever been done. And yeah. that was always my driving force. And not perfect for me, but perfect. You know, I played perfectly to help my team win. Um, and, you know, I, I that's kind of what I was striving to do, even though it got harder and harder to do yeah. that. You speak of, of mentoring the kids at Balor and working with the kids and the guys and the outlaws, who were some of the coaches that really instilled that, you know, professionalism of putting in the work both on and off the floor that really helped you become a better player? Well, I had a bunch. I mean, I had an indoor, you know, all day and, and Jody yeah. Gage um, early in my Nighthawk career were really, really helpful in helping me grow up a little bit, you know, and just – and put the time in practice and and just, you know, the team and I think even the players my first year kinda of sat me down and after the first couple of losses in my rookie year and Kurt Malofsky was one, Derek uh or sorry, Dwayne Jacobs and, and yeah. Chugger were just like junior, like this is a team man, like we're all good too. And, yeah, you know, and yeah. Peter Rowe and I'm not to belittle anyone I played with, but I was kinda of counted on to do it all kinda of on my own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, joining the Nighthawks crew that was phenomenal. And they really, really broke it down. And it was, you know, there was some tears shed and some, you know, some screaming and yelling. And, I, you know, I just said, okay, I'm in. Like, show me yeah. the way. And and they did. I learned a lot that year. And um, I learned a tremendous amount through those leaders. And, you know, Paul Day and Jody Gage, I know not much of a lacrosse guy at the time, but turned out to be a pretty darn good one for the mm-hmm. amount of championships he's won indoor and outdoor and you know and then I moved on to you know Colorado and I mean even when I won in Roch you know Eddie Coma was awesome and guy with a pedigree all the championships he'd won in Toronto and learning from Les Bartley and 
you know, it seems like the six degrees of separation from him, yeah. those guys win. And, yeah. you know, a guy that just preached team and, and there's a method to the madness and the process and the pro and it's always process, process. And I still hear players and coaches still preaching that, that mentality. And I learned a lot. And, you know, Steve Govett, when I got to Colorado, really, really showed me how to become more professional off the floor and, and, you know, to be, you know, better in the community and, you know, be more outspoken and really choose what I do as far as, you know, the words I say and the things I'm doing and just, just focused on just playing. I was so focused on just playing. I was like, you know, I think it almost hurt my reputation a bit where people thought I was kind of a jerk, but I just, yeah, real shy and don't focus on the cross. I'm not doing the things, playing the game because I love and that's all I say that's the cross. There's more to this than your, your two hours and there's injuries that I learned quite a bit. So many other guys. I mean, in their youth. I mean, I learned everything from my dad. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of guys that helped kind of grow. Do you think you would be the person you are today if you'd never gotten traded from Rochester? Um. No, I I think you know I was. Going through some, I just never really, you know, I needed to be, I think, mentally and emotionally and even, you know, maturity wise. Um, you know, I was living a life and just playing across on the weekends, really afforded a lifestyle where I really didn't have much responsibility other than keeping myself ready to go on the weekends. I was re- really looking six days ahead. When's my next uh-huh. game? Where do I need to be? When's my flight? With really no, you know, aspirations or anything. You know, they talk about, you know, professional athletes are invincible, but, you know, no, there was no thought process of what am I going to be when I'm older and, you know, any sort of thing. Even thinking about growing a family at the time, it was just, uh, you know, life and I just lived the dream and traveling here and traveling there. And, you know, I think when I had that, you know, big, the near death thing, I really came out of that going, you know, there's what maybe my priorities are askew here. Like yeah. lacrosse shouldn't be the number one driving force. Like I really lost touch with my face and, you know, I wasn't really, not really awesome of a person off the floor. And, you know, I think moved on and really started in Colorado to try to find myself and become a better man and better human being. And, uh, you know, and I think I owe a lot to Valor and working there and, and really, finding something that I lost that, you know, this isn't just about me. And I really, I'm now using kind of the do's and don'ts and everything that I've accrued and all the experiences, good and bad that I've, you know, had over my 20 years of 38 years of playing or whatever it is um, to be able to really help other people. And I really believe that's why I'm, you know, here is Mm -hmm. to help younger people kind of, um, grow. Um, and it really feels like I need to be there unless it's, you know, without getting traded and finding my way and moving out to Colorado, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I'm, you know, extremely blessed to have that opportunity and, you know, life's good. I beautiful little home and my wife's working and my daughter loves her school and, you know, um, you know, things are good. And 
I was talking to Reagan the other day as we were driving across country. I'm like, you know, imagine Valerie and stuff. Like, like if I retired and all of a sudden now, it's like, what now? Like, what what I do? (laughs) And I have evolved and I have some stuff there, but um, security and just the, you know, the security I have in my life right now, it made it easier. Um, It's over. Um, Yeah. I know that's something that was really wearing on me late in my career. It's like, well, what am, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. People like, why do you keep planning? But was I really had no choice. I put yeah. myself into that kind of life, and you know, not, not everyone has that opportunity just to you know, find the, something that they enjoy that much after doing something they enjoy that much. So I got extremely lucky that I was able to kind of do them both at the same time, and. Now that playing is over and I don't have to, you know, think about it, I'm just not allowed to play. So it's yeah. not like I'm going to wrestle. You know, there's been guys, guys, you know, hey, come to plastic, come to this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to play and I don't have to worry about it. I know expansions down the road and, you know, it's not here. I'm back. I'm back. It's it. It's over. It isn't about me anymore other people and having helping them grow in the game and learn life and uh you know everything experience i think i'd be able to do what i do in a mentorship role so i'm a lot of mistakes and a lot of good things you got to live and learn and i've learned a lot and now it's time for me to focus and get back um be able to provide anything back in the game that i love to do is a dream come true uh, quick rapid fire before we let you go. Uh, best goal you ever scored? Uh, I think the most important goal I ever scored, and I know it's you got to love the social media right now. The you know game winner against Buffalo in the semis to put us into the championship game. Um, you know that was pretty exciting for for me and our team mm-hmm. in the city of Rochester, and I mean it's. We invested in a place that was absolutely bonkers. Um, you know, that was a big one. You know, there were some other ones, I guess, in the world. Um, goal. It's more not just goals. Very important for the team, the city, yeah. or yeah. the game I think we beat Boston the first time. But the goal was being challenged in overtime. That ended up in the first game. And I think we lost. I don't know. He was in my second year. We were trying to a regular season game. And I just remember watching those refs like it was the most important thing. The hands went in the air, and everyone else's hands went in the air. and We'd like celebrate like we won the whole thing. It was just a home win. Yeah, um, but goals that just really mean more than just a, a notch on the scoreboard. Like whether it brings a a team to a championship or wins a championship. So I mean, there there's I'm not saying I've got so many I can't remember. But if you ask, wrap um, those are the ones that stick out the most. Uh, favorite championship that you won? Uh, my old four man cup. Yeah. Um, you know, coming back from ACL surgery, probably shouldn't have played. But our city 
summer got ravaged by floods and the city was down and I was down and we were kind of building back together and Peterborough was really not very good and they started to mm-hmm. build something you know and as you know I went out to BC for a couple of years and came back had a calling to come back and our city won that one um, mm-hmm. and that was the first one for me kind of the you know monkey off my back and you know found a way to win it was you know 20 20 years or 30 years after my dad had won it um, so it, it was really big for the city and really big for me personally and our group of you know, most of them are not playing anymore on that squad, but that was uh, the start of a really good, I think we got ten years, um, and that was the big one. So that was the one. Absolutely. Um, who's your favorite player in the NLL right now? I like watching him. Yeah, funny and sweet. He thanked me for he had not played defense anymore. Um, you know, I love the way Adam Jones shoots the lacrosse ball. He, he, I mean, it was tough losing him. You know, he real good. I mean, we got we got a really, really phenomenal player in that group. But just to see, I just shake your head moments. Like, how is he scoring? Like, there's no business scoring, <laughs> and yeah. it just keeps going in. And yeah. you know, soft tricks and quarters and. Um, you know, it's just uh, just a, a freak knack for finding spots on the goalie. Like, it was just goalies could not figure him out. Um, he was fun. Just I really love how athletic lacrosse has gotten. I mean, Mark Matthews is a freak. You know, mm-hmm. if he actually finally <laughs> decides to just take it over, he will take it over. And, and I mean, what can I say about Lyle Thompson? Yeah. I've kind of watching him since he was dominating the NCAAs, and it seems like he's found his groove. In indoor, so it's going to be scary. That team is going to be scary good for a while. I mean, they have always been young, but now they're young and good with, you know, probably one of the top coaches. I mean, how many championships does Eddie Como have? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, Too many. So, Too many. yeah, he, he's, pretty, he's pretty exciting. You know, a guy, even a guy like Jordan Hall, yeah. you know, plugs yeah. away. And I mean, he had, I don't know, how many, like 80, 90 points, but pick guy, roll guy that can score and is unselfish. There's so many guys. Yeah. And and a blue hen too, yeah, right? So that's good. And blue hen, you got a little bit there. Yeah, you got a little blue hen. Podcast on that I love to watch <laughs> play, and that's the good thing now that I don't not with anybody. I don't. I can just purely watch the game, enjoy the cross, and I'm definitely doing the special skills that this game provides right now. It's going to be it's going to be really fun as this thing grows a little bit. Um, you talk about possibly coaching. Uh, you're with Fowler. You're with the Outlaws. Would you like to be a coach or GM or or involved with the team in a front office spot in the NLL one day? I don't know. I mean, I love Denver, and I, I mean, my job with Fowler, and they were very graceful. You know, and it's my last two years playing because you know it takes me away from my job, and they were great. Um, but I want to be around. I mean, I have. I want to do and get a job offer with on days. What a what an opportunity that is. But I still love the game. My love for it hasn't changed. It's just mm-hmm. play, but I can still contribute. I think mm-hmm. in other ways. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm in a hurry. I think I'm finding a real strong passion, and 
for field lacrosse and coaching and the strategic elements of that. And, you know, I just love that. And we'll, we'll see. Uh, I love it. It's the best organization by far, as you know. Uh, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll work a game beside you doing color. I would love it. I would love it. I'd love for you to interrupt me the whole time. Um, final question before I let you go. Um, as the news of your retirement came out, um, you know, everybody oh, throughout the lacrosse world was giving their praise and their thanks for you and sharing memories and highlights. Um, what would you like to say on this platform to, to all the fans and friends and former teammates and coaches that are out there, um, just your opportunity to give thanks to them? Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, it's been nice and kind of heartwarming to me to see even, you know, guys that I've really for the last 15, 20 years and, you know, sharing, you know, well-wishing and just, I can't say it to fans and players and it's, it's not that all they need support, but it's growing and it's, People have what you're looking for, or knowing it's growing and wanted to grow. Thanks enough for for all the the thoughts and and kind words. It's definitely made it more palatable to to say to like it's, I don't want to be a goodbye and I'm just going away. I I just unable to do what I've done before, like on the floor. John Grant Jr. Speaking to us from Niagara Falls, Ontario, where he's on a bit of a familycation. He spent time um, in Chicago where they had a game. Or sorry, Columbus where they had a game. Then they went to a water park in Erie. Then they've been in Niagara Falls before they head to Rochester for a um, Wednesday where he will have a meet and greet with some of the Nighthawk fans. Fans who were truly his biggest cheering support in those first few years in Rochester. And you know the crew will be out in full force um, to say thank you and give their best wishes to John Grant Jr. And you know the Mammoth are going to do something for them uh, when the season starts. Uh, maybe they have a somehow one of the games that they play falls on the 24th and they, they can make it a big celebration. And I'm sure that his number will be retired at some point whether the Nighthawks retire it or the Mammoth retires it or both. But what an incredible, incredible player who gave everything he could to this sport. And if he had the business savvy of Paul Rabel, who knows what John Grant Jr. could have done for the sport of lacrosse. And, you know, you can't blame him for not being in sort of that position because it wasn't him. He, it, Like we said, he wasn't an outward guy. He was very introverted. He's, he's not huge on social media. He doesn't like doing vlogs and blogs and videos and, and things like that. He just wants to put his head down and go about his business. And right now his business is with Valor Christian and the high school program that I believe he's taken to a back-to-back state titles or three straight state titles. Um, he's working with the Denver Outlaws as an associate coach. And if he ever gets an opportunity, I'm sure he would love to be in the NLL as a coach or GM, but his focus 
um, is on the kids at Valor. And for the past couple of years, they have allowed him to miss time because of the NLL. And now he'll be able to give his full 100% commitment to that group and continue to mold the game's next best superstars. Because if you're ever going to learn from a guy who knows what it takes, John Grant Jr. is one heck of a guy to learn from. I learned so much from him just from being on the lefty side with him during warm-up shots and in practices. And you heard him talk about, you know, those first few years in Rochester where he was sort of the me guy and he was always under the self-impression that he needed to be the guy, especially when he was in Peterborough and even at Delaware. And it took guys like, Kurt Miloski and Dewey Jacobs and Chugger to say, hey, man, you don't got to do it all on your own. We are a team. And, and I remember when I was in Rochester, and he had only been in the league for, I think, three year, two or three years when I got there. And it was Tim Sudan and Reggie Thorpe who came up and did the same thing to me. Now, I'm in no class, nowhere near the same class as Junior. But I kind of had that air about me where I just wanted to play lacrosse and I didn't need to do all that other stuff. And I'll never forget at a practice in Tonawanda, just outside Buffalo, and Tim Sudan firing a ball as hard as he could across the floor, and it buzzed my tower. And he literally came up to me, grabbing by the face mask, and laid into me and said, you're, you're 19, or I was 21, grow up, be a professional, you need to start acting like a team guy, stop bleeping around. And it changed my whole outlook. And it still took me a while to figure out how to be a professional. But it was being alongside Junior and and having those times together of, of traveling on the road and being a part of a brotherhood that allowed me to understand what made him tick and what made him so great. But at the same time, what made Junior Junior? And I am certainly going to miss his weird little giggles, his funny little smile, and just being able to watch him pick corners with ease from 10 feet outside the dot, forehand, backhand, around the world, skippers, between the leg bouncers, whatever you want. There was nobody better with a stick in their hand in this generation than John Grant Jr., Maybe one day, Gabby Grant, his young daughter, will be able to say, I learned this stick trick from my dad. And when she's playing for Team Canada and representing her country on a world stage like her father did and her grandfather did, and will be able to look back and say, that guy did a really, really great job raising his daughter and helping to create the next generation of women's lacrosse. Because the current generation of Canadian women's lacrosse is the best it has ever been. They are number two in the world for the second straight time. They are currently competing in the FIL World Championships in Manchester out of the Surrey Sports Complex. They have just finished the round-robin play with a narrow 8-6 victory over Team England. The hosts put up a valiant effort and almost pulled off a stunning comeback.
but the Canadians were able to hold on, and they will finish second. Second, they will finish second in the A pool behind the Americans, and they will go on to play New Zealand in the third quarterfinal game tomorrow. And the three other quarterfinals will see Australia versus Scotland, USA versus Israel, and then the final quarterfinal, England versus Wales. And if I'm looking and reading this right, Canada, should they go on to beat New Zealand, will play the winner of Australia and Scotland. USA, which shouldn't have any problem with Israel, will play the winner of England versus Wales. As mentioned at the top, I was able to catch up with the captain of Team Canada, Dana Doby. She was in her room at their dormitory just outside of Manchester. And when I caught up with her, I just asked her first off, how would she, a veteran of this Canadian program, assess their team's play over the opening games in the round robin? Yeah, definitely. We have a a fairly young squad this uh, campaign, which I think is bringing a lot of excitement and enthusiasm to the program. So we're using each game as an opportunity to get to know each other better, get closer on the field and, and really build that chemistry. Um, which is always a tough thing to do at a world championship when every game is on the line and and it's super competitive. Um, But I would say that's what we're looking on doing as we continue to go down this home stretch is just build on where we've been in these previous games and get stronger and and really start peaking at the right time here. Who who have been some of the girls that have been standouts for you so far? Obviously, uh, the game against the Americans didn't go as you'd like, but uh, through the other games where no. you've been, <laughs> been able to beat all your competitors? Who are some of the girls that are, are having really good tournaments? Yeah, you have to give the nod to um, Erica Evans. She's going to be a senior this year at Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, um, a Peterborough native. She's a midfielder for us, a, a lefty two-way player, does it all. Um, you don't ever see her get beat on the defensive end. She's there as Matlin on off the draw controls. Um, and she's a sniper offensively. Her speed throughout the entire field is is top of the line. And, and for me, I think she's one of the best midfielders here at this World Cup. Being that it's only her uh, first senior World Cup, she's definitely turning heads and, and making a solid name for herself. Um, same with Meg Kinna. She was just a freshman at Northwestern University from the West Coast. Um, young, super fast, speedy, smart, such a hustler. Um, I would say those two midfielders for us as, as young guns have really stepped up in leadership roles, and, and they're not playing like it's their first World Cup at all. You have quite a bit of experience uh, in the women's game. You're, you're in your 10th year as an assistant coach at Loyola under um, the legendary Jen Adams. How much does that experience uh, play in in a tournament like this for yourself as a player who goes from coaching to playing and, and now playing with some of the girls that you coach against? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, experience at this level is is so important just because being there before you kind of understand that, you know, there's no second chances that every opportunity you have, you need to make them count. Um, so just using that experience from, on the leadership side of things to, to really help the younger players and give them a heads up and, and hopefully give them kind of the information that they need going forward so nothing's a surprise. But um, I will definitely say it's a lot easier being on this side of the mm-hmm. bench, being on the field and getting really, being able to impact the game yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, I love coaching and, you know, I think it's the best job there could be to actually get paid to coach lacrosse. But um, right now still being able to play, I, I would pick being a player over a coach any day, especially at this world, 
is world level. What's the atmosphere like over there? Because I've seen some photos and some pictures, and it looks like there's some great crowds. And, and how does it compare to some of the other world games that you've been to? The venue here, the Surrey Sports Complex here is phenomenal. So um, you have the Grand Slam Stadium kind of at the center of it all, and, and I would say it seats probably around two to 3,000. Nice. Um, and, and England being the home host, they're getting incredible uh, fan support. I think today they had, you know, the stands were filled, and we had a nice little section of the red and white cheering for us. The majority was going for the home team, yeah. but yeah. they have a nice little festival going on as well. Um, some U19 and some U15 games going on. So there's a, it's a great atmosphere. There's little kids and supporters all over the place getting autographs before and after the game. So I'd have to say there, this is probably one of the better, well, well, we run uh, world championships that we've had. So I'm super excited to be a part of it. We've seen in the men's game, um, the gap between the top tier teams start to close. You know, there's Canada and the U.S., with the Iroquois and we're starting to see, you know, Israel and England and Australia start to come through and make a name for itself. Is the gap closing between the top Americans and say you guys in England and Australia faster or is the bottom coming up faster? I think you kind of see both, um, both playing fields kind of bridging the gap. Um, for us, it used to be Australia and the U.S. were such powerhouses, and, mm-hmm. and now Canada being in the second-ranked spot for the second World Cup here um, has been huge, and, and England giving us a really tough game today. They're kind of showing that they're not letting down, and they're putting a lot of time and money into their development programs. But um, I think the world side of lacrosse and the women's side is really, really growing, and we're seeing growth from the bottom and also seeing growth from the Pool A as well. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, the U.S. just has so many numbers of athletes playing, and and their development program is so strong. They trained for four years when you know we just started trying out this August, so yeah. we've only been a program for a team for nine eight months. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think the the world side of women's lacrosse is just booming, and there's such incredible athletes and players at this World Cup from all different sides of the world. So it's really exciting to see. We saw the Canadian men's uh, team sort of rise up and knock off the Americans, and a lot of that had to do with the number of, of guys from the north coming going down to the U.S. and playing in the NCAA. Is that what it's going to take for the Canadian women to kind of bridge that gap with more girls going down and, and playing college across in the U.S.? Absolutely. It's, the University League in the United States is by far – you know, the the best platform for a women's lacrosse player to compete at. Every single game is so strong, and you're able to train for three hours a day, six days a week um, with great coaches, great facilities, and it just provides such a great platform, like I said, for you to take your game to the next level. So if we want to continue to stay in this number two spot and give the USA a run for their money, um, we're going to need to continue to take our talented players and, and have them play in that American uh, university system just so that they can reach their top level in order for us to put the best team together. You talked about that, that low bridge getting higher to the higher levels. Um, the New Zealand women's team kind of knocked off, maybe upset the Haudenosaunee women's team. So you'll play them in the first game of the quarterfinals. How cool is it uh, to be able to play a New Zealand team and experience the Hawka firsthand? Oh, it's going to be incredible. I, was, I saw the Hawka uh, on Twitter actually this morning, and it gave me chills. So I can't wait to see it. 
live tomorrow and and they actually are our dorm neighbors to us so we actually oh, nice. are in the exact same flat um so we've been cheering each other on all tournament and now we have to go compete against one another but um it's so cool just to have that that chance to play a team like new zealand we're on opposite sides of the world but you know we have that same love for lacrosse and that passion for lacrosse so no doubt they're going to give us a a strong game. They look very athletic from what I've seen and speedy, but um, hopefully our skill is going to be able to take us over the top for that game. How cool is it that uh, this generation of women's field lacrosse players have the names of some of past generations, male players and, and are starting to make a name for themselves? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I think it has a lot to do with um, social media and just also the, the accessibility of women's lacrosse and, and how it's all over the place. But um, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely so easy for us to get on, you know, Instagram or YouTube and, and see highlights of some of these top players and try to emulate that ourselves when we're playing too. Dan, it's always a pleasure catching up. Um, I know you guys are, are getting ready to hit the wrapper for a big game tomorrow and, and best of luck in the quarterfinals against New Zealand and moving forward. And, one last question. Um, did my brother mix the reds with the whites and dye the jerseys while he's doing the wash? <laughs> no, our, our jerseys are pressed and, and smelling uh, perfect. So we're so fortunate to have him on staff, and, and there's no one better to be looking out for us. But our reds are, are as bright as they can be, and our whites are looking as fresh as they could be. So I don't know where we'd be without Fred. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you give him a hard time for me. Uh, I appreciate you giving us some time, and again, best of luck tomorrow, and and keep her going, and we're all cheering for you back here in Canada. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Teddy. I appreciate it, and go Canada. Go Canada, go is right. The Canadian women have been uh, playing some fantastic lacrosse uh, so far. They beat Australia 9-5. They beat Wales 10-6. They beat Scotland 16-7, and England 8-6. It's that 17-3 to loss to the Americans, obviously, that stands out. And what that really shows is the disparity and the gap between the U.S. and then the next, like, three or four teams. And when I say that, I mean, you know, Australia, England, Canada. Those are your next three. Maybe throw Wales in there. Um, but then after those four teams, you have Israel and you have New Zealand and the lesser teams that are out there, Scotland, Germany, and so on. And we, the bottom needs to come up before the top comes down, I think, and I don't think the Americans are ever coming down off that pedestal for quite some time. It's going to take a lot more Canadians going to American schools and a lot more programs in Canada producing better and more skilled and top-level ready women's lacrosse players, and we're getting that. We are seeing more girls heading down south. We are seeing the best Canadian women's program that we've seen in quite some time. But when you look at some of the scores that the U.S. has put up, their closest game was when they beat Australia by 7. And that was 15-8. They beat Scotland 19-3. They beat the host England 18-1, Canada 17-3, and they beat Wales 17-6. They're about to play Israel tomorrow in the quarterfinals, and if that game even is remotely close for five minutes, I'll be surprised. 
the American women are on a level that we used to think the American men were on. And it's going to take a bit of time before anybody dethrones that women's organization and that women's team because it is an incredible, incredible force. But the gap is slowly closing, and that's a good thing. But it's still a fair ways away before we see a team really put a scare into the to the women's national team program. But that's the whole point of, quote-unquote, growing the game. We need better coaching in Canada. We need better programs, and that's worldwide. Look at some of the people that are being ambassadors across the globe. You know, three that I can think of are three good friends of mine, Scott Browning, Travis Taylor, Travis Gillespie, all working with national teams abroad. There are many more that I don't know about or can't think of right now that are helping some of these fledgling and grassroots national programs become big entities. And the women, the Canadian women are doing a great job. Um, You heard Dana talk about just um, the festival atmosphere that's there, the U15 tourney, the U19 tourney, and you're seeing more European countries play. And the more countries that play, uh, the more girls that are playing, and the better the game will continue to grow. And sure, maybe it may take, you know, like we've seen in the men's world, North American-born players who have international roots going and play for their parents' or their grandparents' mother country, and that may help those teams grow and progress. And we're seeing that more and more in the European men's division. Um, you look at what just happened in the European Box Across Championships uh, in Turku, Finland. Israel, a program that has only been around for not even five years, you know, helped, led by Scott Neese and Brad MacArthur. Uh, they just won the European Box Across Championships. I believe they beat the Czechs in the finals uh, by a goal, and it was an incredible tournament, and when you see countries that have never been in these positions starting to make noise, the game will continue to grow. And as we all know, in 2018, the men's World Field Lacrosse Championships are going to be in Israel. So the game is growing globally. We just need the global gap to close a little bit more. And we'll get there. It's going to happen soon. Maybe... Hopefully, by the time the game of lacrosse is in the Olympics, and I'm going to save my Olympics discussion for another day because there's been some more talk about lacrosse in the Olympics. But the gap from bottom to top needs to become closer. Even if the U.S. women continue to win, if we get the bottom up, then... I think that's better for the game because that will make all those lower and middle teams better and close that gap eventually between the Americans as more and more girls realize that they can continue on with their education south of the border in the NCAA um, or across the water, how, wherever they may be from. But in saying that, best of luck to our Canadian women, 
who, as mentioned, will play the quarterfinals tomorrow against New Zealand. New Zealand upset the Haudenosaunee. And we'll keep you posted. Uh, but probably by the time we speak next week, the tournament will be over. And I hope to have uh, someone else from the Women's World Cup on the show next week just to kind of talk about the gap that is there and the growth of the women's game uh, internationally and here in North American soil. Speaking of North American, the North American Indigenous Games are going on. And as mentioned, the women are making waves, becoming uh, and playing their native game for the first time at the Indigenous Games, which I think is just incredible. And it's been a long time coming. I remember when the North American Indigenous Games were in Victoria many, many moons ago. And um, I don't know, I think I might have been a young teenager and I was refing, and I remember seeing, you know, the early Hill Brothers and the Bomberries and the Paulises come out when they were just, you know, 9, 10 years old. And even then, they had ridiculous stick skill. And if you get a chance to go see some of the lacrosse at the Indigenous Games, uh, please do, because you'll sit there and just be in awe of some of the things that are happening during those games. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the armadillo hidden ball trick where all five guys go to center and huddle and they all fake that they're cradling the ball and then the coach will yell a secret word and then they'll break out and nobody had any idea who had it. First time I'd ever seen it. So if you're at the Indigenous Games, check it out. Uh, there's a great article uh, from the CBC about the women playing in the Indigenous Games. So if you can find that, uh, give it a read. It is a fantastic little article. Um, before we get out of here, let's uh, check out the Canadian summer season. Uh, out west, uh, things are continuing to heat up, and man, are they tight. Just four points separates first through a tie for third. Shamrock's on 21 points, Maple Ridge 20, Burnaby and New West on 17, Coquitlam on 10. They are not mathematically eliminated quite yet. They can still squeeze in. Nanaimo, they're fading, and Langley is pretty much officially been knocked out of the playoffs. They have four games left, and they can't catch New Westminster. But the top of the table, Victoria, Maple Ridge, Burnaby, New West, I kind of picked them to be your four playoff teams earlier in the year. It's looking like that's going to happen. Uh, Maple Ridge dropped a game to New West the other night, which allowed Victoria to remain in first. And that's big for Victoria because they've lost the season series with the Berards. And both Victoria and Maple Ridge just have three games left. Uh, games tonight include Maple Ridge at Langley. So Maple Ridge, a chance to leapfrog the Shamrocks and get back into first with only a few weeks remaining. Out east in the MSL, Peterborough remains on top with 26 points, but they have played two more games than Six Nations, who are in second on 21 points, followed by Brooklyn on 14, Oakville 13, and then Brampton and Coburg pulling up the rear officially Eliminated from postseason play. And so your four teams will be Peterborough, Six Nations, Brooklyn, Oakville, depending on how they finish, will decide who they play. But Peterborough and Six Nations clearly running away with the one-two spots, and we'll update you that next week. Uh, in the BC Junior A loop, both Coquitlam and New Westminster have 2 nothing series leads uh, in their West semifinals. Coquitlam 
just taking it to the Victoria Junior Shamrocks over the weekend. Uh, they'll play Game 3 on Saturday in Coquitlam. Game 4, if necessary, on the following Sunday. Uh, New West and Poco will play tonight in Game 3. Uh, New West looking to wrap up that series. Uh, a great year, nonetheless, by the Poco Saints. And it's great to see that junior program kind of make a resurgence and throw another name into the hat out west. Uh, in the Rocky Mountain League, the league finals are underway, and the Okotoke Raiders are one win away from another trip back to the Minto Cup. They've taken the first two games against the Junior A SWAT, 20-7 to and 13-9. to Game three in that series is in the in is in Saskatchewan at the Kinsman Arena. Uh, that goes Friday night, and if the Okotoke Raiders win that one, which they probably will, uh, they will be off to Brampton for the Minto Cup. In Ontario, um, the four quarterfinals are underway. Uh, just one game done in each series. Six Nations, Brampton, Mimico, and Whitby all lead their series one game to nothing. You can go to the OLA Junior website for more information, schedules, and the playoff bracket. That's all I can really think about for now. I'm sure I'm probably missing some other news and notes from the lacrosse world. Um, there is a debate on naming the NLL trophies again. Um, I think it's long overdue that they do that um, in honoring the stars of the past, uh, the Gates, Tavares, Elliott, or Watson, Veltman, Junior, Doyle, Shooter. The list goes on and on um, of guys you could name awards after. Um the debate is yours. Who would you name your MVP trophy after? Who's the Rookie of the Year trophy go to? So there's a great debate going on about that. Um, we still are waiting an expansion announcement soon. Um, I don't think it'll come this month. My guess is you'll hear it in sometime in August. Uh, no team will be coming in for 2018 as confirmed by the commissioner. 2019 will be the next time we see a brand new National Lacrosse League franchise we're going to end there we talked a lot thanks to john grant jr my good buddy finally announcing his retirement um, and going to enjoy some downtime with the family even though he still is coaching but um, congratulations on an incredible career um, and a first ballot hall of famer in every single league that he's ever played in and a well-deserved honor coming his way and of course thanks to captain canada dana doby uh, for those wondering uh, she's the second cousin of Calgary Roughneck star Dane Doby. So let's put that rumor to bed that people thought, might have thought they were sisters. Second cousin. And we'll end it there. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. And as always, if you're going to go to a game this week, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they will have too. Until next week, be excellent to each other.